that night the city burnt, and the mother church of the city burnt with her. And yet the tower and the spire still stand, soaring to the sky, and I feel that's an emblem of the eternal majesty and love of God. Greetings. You are tuned into the Miserable Offenders podcast. Pull up a chair and join the conversation as we seek answers to life's big questions, drawing wisdom from the well of traditional Anglican theology. This is a production of the North American Anglican. Welcome back to the Miserable Offenders podcast. My name is Jesse Nigro. I'm the editor-in-chief of the North American Anglican, and today I am joined by the venerable Andrew Brazier and the venerable Isaac Rayberg. Now, you haven't heard from us for a while. Um, Just to catch you up, I haven't been doing much, but I have a feeling (laughs) that um, it's hard to get away with not doing much as an archdeacon in the Anglican way. So, uh, it, on top of not doing much, I suppose, uh, I did, I did have a little spot on, uh, a friend's podcast, uh, Ars Politica recently, which we can, uh, talk about later perhaps. Um, and so I got to talk about classical education, something I'm pretty passionate about. Um, but that's kind of boring, right? Let's, let's hear something more interesting. Uh, do you gentlemen want to sort of reintroduce yourselves maybe to a new audience and um, remind the old audience who we are and uh, and uh, what we're what we're uh, what we're up to um, let's start with uh, Archdeacon Andrew Brazier I like this it's kind of like miserable offenders the next generation you know? that's right <laughs> if you missed the previous iteration you may catch the occasional reference, but you'll be quite all right starting over here. So, <laughs> no, it, it's good uh, uh, to be with you, gents. Um, so, Andrew Brazier, Chancellor for Jurisdiction, Armed Forces, and Chaplaincy. But more importantly, I guess what's been uh, interesting lately is is being able to um, work with the, the good people of the North American Anglican, um, which if for some reason you're not aware of them, you need to go check them out. Go on the good old Google and put in North American Anglican, and you'll find excellent uh, articles about obviously North American Anglicanism and even, you know, the wider um, Anglican communion. Uh, I'll plug in the website. It's NorthAM, A-M for American, and then Anglican.com. But I've been working with uh, one of the editors there, uh, Mr. Robert Ramsey, um, great guy, good friend, uh, who's been helping me on getting republished Bishop John Jewell's two treatises on Holy Scriptures and on the sacraments. And we're real excited to see it get published later on this summer. Uh, we don't have a firm date yet, but we're looking to get it out uh, the door probably by late summer. And uh, Bishop Jules works is something we'll probably discuss like on a, a different podcast, but uh, really kind of getting back to our roots for one of the Anglican reformers who was also a, a Marian exile. So he uh, was not burned at the stake like uh, Cramner, uh, Ridley and Latimer uh, were but escaped to the continent, uh, was influenced to some extent on the continent, but then came back and to the surprise of some of his friends, was not as strong for for pushing further revision or even revolution on the Church of England, but uh, firmly uh, held on to the Elizabethan settlement. So I think we have a lot to learn uh, from Bishop Jewell uh, on his uh, two treatises uh, about word and sacrament. And what does that mean for the, the Anglican communion today? 
Very good, very good. Um, and now, uh, Archdeacon Rayberg. <laughs> well, hi, I'm Isaac Rayberg, the uh, Archdeacon for um, Liturgy in the Anglican Diocese of the West. Uh, we're, we're one of the uh, dioceses from the Church of Nigeria North American Mission, and I'm also the rector at All Saints Anglican Church in San Antonio. And th- those two things have probably been the just doing the ordinary duties in both those areas have been the main thing going on in, in our world, in my world, since uh, since the last one. But I got to tell you, I'm super excited about that Jewel project. There seems to be uh, more and more republishing of some of those uh, classical texts, uh, both in, in our tradition as well as some of the other traditions. Um, and and that's that's really exciting. This kind of ad fontes to our uh, Reformation roots is super, super important. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited about that book, too. Um, if you haven't seen it online, uh, the cover looks really cool, which always, like, I'm a sucker for just neat-looking theolo- theology books, if I can say that. The Easy for me to say. Um, so I'm excited about that. I, I mean, I do, I don't know about you guys, I have sort of a soft spot in my heart for some of those books that were published in the 70s that are like, it's like C.S. Lewis, but like the worst scripty font you've ever seen. And, you know, some out of focus flower picture behind it or whatever. But um, that being said, the aesthetic on this jewel book looks great. And um, I know that both you and Robert have uh, put a lot of work into it, Andrew. So I'm excited about that. Um, oh, real quick, I was going to mention. Uh, so. Humble brag, my Twitter followers went above a thousand in the last month, and uh, yep, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> um, and I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, it just means I'm on more people's targets, I suppose. But if you want to follow me um, on the tweets world, it's at Jesse Nigro, J E S S E N I G R O. Um, and obviously, as uh, has been said, I'm also kind of behind the scenes working over at Northam Anglican. Um, so yeah, uh, that's, those are places where you can find out more about what we're up to. I like to retweet just about anything that happens between, uh, our good efforts variously. But, um, today we are sort of venturing into a new mold as a podcast. Um, the miserable offenders, sometimes referred to as the venerable offenders um, due to my esteemed <laughs> colleagues and uh, uh, their great success in ministry um, is embarking in uh, a little more of a uh, topical uh, approach to the podcast. So we hope you like it. If you don't, don't tell us, but if you do uh, lavish praise, subscribe on all the places and leave a kind review if you don't mind we'd love it um and of course you know sharing this show uh is a great way to support what we're doing so today's podcast speaking of topics we have a a heavy hitter and um that sort of seems to have made waves in the anglican communion and i believe this was uh, something that was recommended by andrew um, before we, I pass it to you, any other sort of setup? Um, I've, I've sort of slept on this story a little bit. I mean, kind of, I kind of followed it as it came out, but haven't really followed the secondary commentary on it much. 
Um, uh, Isaac, any, anything you want to say before we kind of lead, hand it to Andrew to lead the combo? Sure. Yeah, I think I think this is a really good example of seeing some of the, if not shifting. Uh, leadership dynamics within the Anglican communion, we're at least seeing um, some tension within those leadership dynamics. And uh, for, for my part, I kind of referenced this uh, current kerfuffle in uh, my, my homily for Trinity One, uh, where the Old Testament reading, at least in, in my prayer book, was uh, Jeremiah 23, the uh, the uh, the bad shepherds. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, it, it was it was fun. Very timely there on the uh, the lectionary tying up to that. So, yeah. So I'll kind of take it away a little bit that, you know, what we're discussing here is of course um, there's been a call uh, from the primates and from uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury to do a Lambeth uh, 2022. Uh, they had a pre meeting essentially in uh, March of 2022, and they issued out uh, the communique. Uh, inviting those two, inviting the, the fellow primates and, and the other bishops in their respective jurisdictions to attend uh, Lambeth 22, happening later this year. I don't have that date in front of me. I want to say it's around September, but don't quote me on that. But what's really kind of started this uh, kerfuffle is that the uh, primates in Nigeria and Rwanda and Uganda have said thanks, no thanks, but very strongly worded by issuing a statement really calling to task this invitation and why they will not be there. Uh, this was issued, I believe, in early May. So we're a little bit late to this news, but it's evolved over time. And they really laid out the reason why they're not coming is because uh, in paragraph four of that first statement, the thing that gripped me, and I'm interested to kind of see and hear what, what kind of grips you all from reading these statements, is the Anglican church in the West is in rebellion having rejected fundamental beliefs in the authority of the Holy Bible, sound biblical ethics, uniqueness, and the worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a form of apostasy, which Jesus Christ warned against in Matthew 16, 11. So they don't mince words. They're calling very much a spade a spade, um, which I can appreciate in considering the age that we live in when there's so much of just talk and discussion and really trying to not address necessarily elephants that are in the room. And sadly, there's a lot of elephants in the room when it comes to the Anglican communion. Uh, they focus very much on um, the, not, not really recent, but what has been going on for quite some time with several Anglican churches in the West in terms of being unfaithful to uh, sexual teachings, uh, practices, and the question of marriage uh, of you know, so-called same-sex uh, unions. And this brought forth a response from uh, the Archbishop, which isn't really too surprising considering how strong this uh, letter is to the Archbishop regarding the invitation. And so he issues a response uh, about you know 20 days later, uh, later in March, where when he responds to uh, each of the primates and laments them not attending, but also has some curious uh, statements in terms of you know the reasoning uh, the reasons why they should attend and essentially says that although uh, they're claiming that the Bible is being abandoned, he goes to, Welby that is, goes to Acts 15 and his initial takeaway and response is that ever since the early faith and life of the church, 
from the Council of Jerusalem, see Acts 15, I'm quoting obviously, onwards, the way that the church has dealt with disagreements has been by prayerful discussion and listening to the views of those who differ. Question of identity and sexuality will undoubtedly be discussed at Lambeth Conference, but bishops from Nigeria, Rwanda, Uganda have indicated they will not be there. Therefore, will not they will never excuse me, they will neither have voice nor the opportunity to listen. And then he continues to uh, address them and laments that not only will they not be there, but says that it's very sad that they consider a, a peripheral issue in regards to the issues of uh, climate change, which will be addressed at the Lambert uh, conference. Uh, he also notes that uh, he has not invited any same-sex spouses of bishops, and that's actually caused uh, a little bit of a problem on his hands uh, that's been remedied by the University of Kent, who is going to house the uh, spouses of uh, the same-sex spouses of those bishops, independent of the Lambeth Conference. So we finally have one more response, a reply to uh, the Archbishop. Well, hey, Andrew, do, do, do you mind if we just just yeah, pause absolutely. there for a second? Because there's just so I, I just have a, so many reactions to so much of what's being said here. Um, uh, and then and then maybe I'd love for you to lead the response as well. But Sounds good. Um, first of all, when you say there's elephants in the room and we're talking about primates as well, I start to get this zoo sort of mental image in my head. So. Um, and we have a, a nice zoo here in Omaha, so and I live pretty close, so that's probably just my fault. But um, elephants and primates aside, uh, what? <laughs> can, can you imagine being like, um, like a, a just a normal Southern Baptist reading this response from the Archbishop of Canterbury? It's like, well, uh, Archbishop here says that the gay stuff is just a secondary matter, and and besides, we didn't um, invite any of the fellas' husbands along, so that's not so bad. I mean, it, I, it, it seems to me that he's just so completely tone deaf in um, his communication here. Like, clearly, somebody if someone tells you this is an issue for us to say, I'm really disappointed that you are making a mountain out of a molehill here is not the way to respectfully disagree about an issue. Uh, uh, that's just my first takeaway, but. Yeah. And, and we've got, you know, the, uh, the initial, um, they keep referring back to Lambeth 110, which was from 1998. We're, we're pushing 25 years of talk. Um, Jerusalem council was not 25 years long. <laughs> Mm. No, I mean, and there were some later councils that might have been, you know, very long. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's something uh, disingenuous here, you know, and, and yeah, there, there's, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty messed up. And incidentally, Jesse, I am going to the zoo later on today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope you see the primates and the elephants. I intend to. <laughs> um, well, and hopefully they're not in the same room, but I do, I do think I was wondering because there was the big story, um, gosh, when ACNA was rather newly formed is there was a, a Lambeth council. Um, and I believe that there was a Gal Gafcon made a pretty song, strong stance then. Um, and Welby was new. Do, do you guys either of you offhand remember sort of uh, the details 
because my understanding was that the Church of England said, wow, yeah, we really need to take take uh, care to listen to the concerns of our African brothers here and um, and discipline the Episcopal Church. And all. They, they made all these commitments to be Orthodox or at the, at the very least discipline people who on paper were stepping out and then utterly failed to uphold those commitments if you know, I mean, to, to invite the uh, the primate of the Episcopal Church to come and give a homily at a, at a royal wedding, you know, if, if that's not a sign of we don't really care about this, I don't know what is. But Yeah, back in 2016, there was a primates meeting and the majority of the primates present. And I think I think the uh, the African primates, including Nigeria, I could be wrong on this, but I think Nigeria and That's Rwanda and Uganda were all there for that one. Um, and I, I think the the Acnes Archbishop was there to uh, as an observer, if mm-hmm. I recall. But yeah, so this is 2016, um, about about seven years into uh, into Acnes founding, and um, about about eight years into Gafcon's founding, and they um, the majority of the primates voted to to sanction the Episcopal Church. Um, and basically, uh, they were going to, it says, it says for uh, three years, the Episcopal church could no longer represent the Anglican communion on ecumenical or interfaith, um, issues, nor could they be appointed or elected to internal standing committee, um, uh, yeah, to the standing committee or make, make, take part in any decision-making as a commu- as part of the communion. Immediately, the Archbishop of Canterbury in the press in the press uh, conference, after frankly all the African bishops had flown home, he starts apologizing for it, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm. and and apologizes for uh, to to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender people for the hurt and pain that was just caused by the communion. <laughs> right, yeah, he's like a reverse Pope Francis, where who usually says something really liberal, and then his PR guys are like, ah, oh, he didn't mean that necessarily he, he like Welby will say something accidentally orthodox and then have to backtrack and apologize for hurting feelings i guess um, i remember when he was made the archbishop of canterbury the the evangelical wing was happy they thought he was one of them and uh yeah that has proved not to be true <laughs> that's not the case and i hate to to use this as an opportunity to say i told you so but like when when that was happening and everyone was like, I'll say everyone, like you said, the evangelical wing, like across the communion was like, oh man, we have our guy. And I just started looking like into the history of it. I was like, I don't see him stepping out really and really taking the bull by the horns. And that's really what's played out. Um, and he, really, if anything, you know, the way he has acted and the way uh, he has spoken out shows something less than an evangelical uh, commitment to the faith. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and look, um, he's, you know, you could say contrasting with uh, Rowan Williams, who I think many of us were simply disappointed, not necessarily because of his theological commitments, whether he was high church or low church. It was, here's someone who seemingly quite apart from whatever his personal convictions were, um, failed to lead, right, to to do what his post sort of demanded of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think, 
I mean, it, gosh, I, I almost prefer the apathy than um, Welby, who seems to be just completely on the other side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but let me ask you guys this question, and then and then uh, Andrew, it'd be great if you could uh, read that last communique. But people listening to this are probably coming from a variety of uh, situations, whether they're um, outside of the Anglican tradition and interested, or maybe they're on board, but they... You know, they could be in ACNA, they could be in the Church of England, they could be in a continuing Anglican province or jurisdiction. Um, what's what is what does any of this really mean to to us here in America? Um, none of us is canonically re- resident in uh, the Episcopal Church or. Um, although, uh, Isaac, your, 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 uh, Anglican communion situation might be slightly varied from maybe a typical ACNA. Um, do we, maybe we should unpack that a little bit to really mm-hmm. kind of set the stage for why should any of us really care about this? I think that's a good question. Uh, and that's one that, you know, frankly, like those in the pews and um, my own parish and a few other parishes that, you know, over the course of the past several years, you know, whenever something blows up, you know, like the Archbishop Welby, you know, says this, you know, there's a response or vice versa. You know, I think the people in the pews, for the most part, get it in the sense that it's really ridiculous that this is continuing to be debated and argued. And as Isaac pointed out, we're 25 years almost from Lambeth 1998 when resolution 1.10 was adopted you know it's really time to to move forward and be faithful to the witness of scripture and oh by the way uh the tradition of the church um that my anglo-catholic friends would rightfully point to as well and why should we care now is because we're seeing the the ongoing battle you know that's happening in the fabric of the anglican communion that's also happening with our brothers and sisters in Christ and so many other Christian denominations. And what I have challenged my uh, parish is, number one, we need to be in prayer. We've got to be in prayer, you know, like why should we care? Because what we're seeing is something that's affecting and impacting the global um, church. And we need to be in prayer for more uh, faithful uh, men, you know, bishops to to stand up for what is the faith once delivered. Pray for more faithful presbyters, priests to do the same, deacons and laity. And uh, for the most part, I think now, of course, I'm biased with the local laity that I typically see. But even when I'm I'm traveling uh, for my other full time job, you know, people get it and see that. We're seeing a changing of definitions and ignorance of, of scriptures all in the name of uh, pushing an agenda or pushing something that affirms the me in all of us versus affirming thy will be done. And it's not just human sexuality. It's so many other issues, but this is the one that's kind of really gaining the most press uh, for the past 25 years. Yeah, and so um, yeah, being part of the uh, the Church of Nigeria, even though here in North America, um, on for for me and for us, a, a lot of the the folks that decided to remain in Church of Nigeria um, when 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 Kena basically had to say we can't 
when we had to choose the uh, ACNA and Nigeria um, said that dual citizenship isn't going to work anymore, which we all knew was coming eventually. Um, for a lot of folks that did did choose to remain in Nigeria rather than remain in ACNA, the connection to the communion was was one of the big reasons. Um, that was less of an issue for me, uh, but but for for a lot of folks in, in, among the, the rectors and the the clergy and even among some of the laity, that was a big big point. And when when I see our primate as well as um, Rwanda and Uganda, and then in, in other ways, maybe not in terms of doing this kind of boycott thing, uh, some of the other uh, global South primates and bishops really, really fighting for orthodoxy within the communion. Um, th that's a big deal. You know, we, we're, and, and that, we, we basically said that the communion is not worth giving up on yet. You know, it hasn't gone so far. And this willingness to push back even against the Archbishop of Canterbury is pretty huge. Um, you know, the Anglican communion was unfortunately not set up when, when it kind of was set up as a communion. Uh, it was not set up in a, in a fully conciliar sort of, sort of thing, you know, similar to how the Eastern Orthodox churches are or some of the old Catholic churches are. Uh, it was more kind of a voluntary association. <laughs> Um, which some of that, I would say, just historically has led to some of these problems, because how can you hold a member uh, responsible or, or accountable, rather, um, when there's not a lot of teeth? Well, and, and they tried, but then, you know, the, the, the spokesperson for the communion undermines it. And so, you know, you, you, we, there's pushback and there's, there's an attempt at saving it. There's an attempt at, and then that, that's the reason why there is missionary work from these these global south provinces throughout the global north and the west um you know is that trying to have a faithful anglican communion presence and and and, and reach the unfortunately often um de-churched anglican communion people or or if not de-churched the defaced. <laughs> mm. And so, um, yeah, so, so to me that that's, that's part of why that's really important. You know, we, we've got, we've got skin in, in the game and it's not that, you know, maybe the, the rank and file active folk don't have skin in the game. They, they do. It's just a different kind of thing, you know, being, being directly in the communion. Right. Um, it, it strikes me that this conversation is sort of similar. I mean, to, to several other maybe approaches that we could say Orthodox Christians living in a modern, highly secularized world are facing right now. And, and there are parallels with um, other institutions, like how do you deal with a government that seems to be um, not living up to its faithfully to its uh, founding uh, intention in many ways? How do you deal with universities that were founded by godly Christian men and are now given over utterly to, you know, secular ideologies and anti-Christian bigotry, frankly. Um, and the way we answer these questions sometimes can seem like, well, this is the way I, in my conscience, need to respond is the only way. 
Um, and in some cases that can be the case. Like, look, you just can't, you know, there, there are some lines that can't be crossed. You know, we just, we, we're not going to bow to the, to the statue, even though we're in Babylon. Right. Um, but when it comes to the Anglican communion, you know, the, and this is kind of my perspective, um, but I, I could see someone from the, like a continuing, you know, the Anglican Catholic church or something saying, well, what do you care? These people aren't even Christians anymore, basically. Or um, what does it matter to be in communion with someone who's ordaining uh, female bishops and, and uh, entertaining homosexual, real, you know, unions with uh, their clergy and whatnot? Um, and I think that there are different approaches. I guess my two cents would be there are a lot of battles to be fought in these sort of uh, conflicts in the post-Christendom world. And uh, mine is not the one to be necessarily in within the official fold of the Anglican Communion, sort of fighting to win back Canterbury for Jesus. Uh, but I'm not going to, you know... Uh, disparage someone who maybe that is you know maybe maybe that's just the the world that they were born to uh be in and be an ambassador for the kingdom of god um i guess that that's kind of my my take on it uh it's not everybody's fight but but maybe it's somebody's and i'm pretty pretty open to that you know I to... one thing just because that's well said and i think kind of because it's a fair assessment from our uh brothers and sisters in christ and the continuum who who make that um you know, have that criticism. Uh, and frankly, those in the pews, you know, feel the same. We're like, why, why bother with all this mess? And the reminder that I, I point to them is, like you said, it's not about winning Jesus for the, the Archbishop of Canterbury. If it turns into who's the Archbishop akin to like, who is the Pope? I think that, you know, that's just, I don't want to say it's the wrong perspective because I do wish to have always a, a man full of grace, you know, as the Archbishop of Canterbury. But I think that the greater goal is communion with Orthodox believers. And as the Archbishop pointed out in his initial uh, response, uh, he said that 30 million out of the 70 million uh, members of the Anglican Communion are represented by Uganda, Rwanda, and Nigeria. And that doesn't even count or take um, into consideration how many millions more uh, in Global South? You know, you got GAFCON, which is one movement. You got the Global South Anglicans, which is another movement with a lot of overlap between the two. And when you start ticking up numbers, not that it's all about numbers, but that's the majority of the, the Anglican communion. And so I take joy that we're still in communion with those faithful believers uh, who are not going to back down to fidelity to uh, the scriptures and they have used uh, the, the Jerusalem statement, at least those who are GAFCON members, to articulate, you know, a path forward. And it's rooted in the Anglican formularies. And unless we root ourselves in the, the formularies, we're, we're just making Anglicanism into a wax nose. Either we're trying to follow the way of modern-day secularism, reinterpret it into Angl Anglicanism into something that it's not, whether or not it's Presbyterian with prayer books or um, being Catholic without a pope, and everything else in between. So you've got to, you know, number one, make the main thing, the main thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And number two, you know, be faithful to the tradition you're in or respectively, you know, maybe there's another tradition that, that fits us uh, better. If that's not what your conviction It's not to kick you out. It's just that let's be honest with ourselves in an age and a time in which it's so easy to be dishonest and <laughs> be anonymous and put online presences uh, 
to make yourself uh, into kind of whatever you want to be. The secular world, you know, is an expert at that, at branding yourself and reinventing yourself. But for us, we're called to die to ourselves. And I'm using the 2019 lectionary, and, and that was the call in the scripture from, from yesterday, from Sunday, was that we need to take up the cross and follow after Christ. And I think that's that if we're being faithful as not only as Anglicans, but as Christians, it's that constant call of dying to ourselves there. So we'll go into this last uh, response uh, that was made from the, the primates uh, from Uganda, Nigeria, um, uh, and Rwanda, and then we'll we'll wrap it up in just a moment. So uh, within just a couple of weeks after uh, Archbishop uh, Welby uh, sends out his uh, reply, uh, really kind of chastising about not being as concerned about climate change, uh, saying that, look, we haven't officially changed uh, any doctrine, which to Welby's you know, credit, that is accurate. They, they have not officially changed um, teachings on same-sex marriage. But what's happening in practice in the Church of England is very much different. And that's really what uh, the primates from um, the African jurisdictions are getting at. So they respond uh, to the Archbishop uh, of Canterbury, and they even state that ordinarily we're not disposed to engage in further correspondences over the issues in contention, since the basic facts and positions surrounding the crisis in the Anglican Communion are already well known. A little bit of an echo of what uh, the venerable uh, Isaac was saying over here, that it's been 25 years. But the point of, of what they, they do is they itemize out, I believe, in four paragraphs. Actually, it's more than that. But in several paragraphs, kind of responding to the archbishop's statements and notes that, look, if the Bible really is the heart of Christian life, quoting Archbishop Canterbury's statement, then it needs to be applied, quote, to the rejection of homosexual lifestyle, especially among Christians. And they continue on by looking at how the archbishop said there's always been disagreements inciting the Council of Jerusalem. And then they state it's somewhat misleading because, quote, sadly, it's an example of virtue signaling that condones evil by hiding behind endless prayer and discussion, thereby giving the impression that what is really laudable is the discussion rather than the decision to obey the clear word of God on the pressing issue of human sexuality and marriage, end quote. He also pointed out that it's noteworthy that the Jerusalem Council is presided by the Apostle James and not Peter. And so, quote, the current debate over Anglican orthodoxy, biblical ethics, and human sexuality may not ultimately be decided by the position of the Archbishop of Canterbury, despite his leadership position in the communion. I'll pause there for a moment because there was another commentator uh, from the Anglican mainstream uh, blog who made a good point about the Acts 15 reference. And he pointed out the irony that when it comes to Acts 15, that council, that council not only is decided quickly, <laughs> as uh, Archdeacon Isaac pointed out, but also in the very last part of the statement, it gets to the meat of the matter as to, you know, what needs to be done for these new Gentile believers in the Messiah and the Jewish Messiah, Christ Jesus, and how they join the church. What do they need to do? And they state that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality, along with a couple <laughs> other items. So what's being argued is really being re-argued and was decided right there in Scripture so long ago. So I'll kind of end with that. The response statement goes on a little bit longer, 
talking about uh, the resolution 1.10 from um, Lambeth in 1998 and really kind of making a point that when it comes to uh, homosexuality, it doesn't advocate uh, homosexuality as an acceptable way of life, but presents uh, those who are practicing homosexuality as a need of uh, pastoral care and evangelistic uh, outreach. So uh, I'll close it there instead of reading the rest uh, of the, uh, the statement. But I'll pitch it back uh, to y'all. And, uh, and in particular, uh, you mentioned Archdeacon Isaac that you recently addressed this um, in a sermon you gave. And I'm curious, you know, how you addressed it uh, with your people. Yeah, so um, in uh, ye yesterday's lectionary reading uh, for, for in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer, the Old Testament uh, was Jeremiah 23, uh, verses 23 and following, where um, God is rebuking false prophets uh, and and false shepherds. And and the, uh, the big thing he's saying is, okay, you are speaking lies in my name. And by doing that, you're leading my people astray. You're, you're leading them into the same kind of things that your fathers did when they were advocating idolatry. And so, um, you know, the, the real point that I was making is that if that, that when we when um, Christian leaders, when pastors, priests and bishops um, say, thus saith the Lord, when the Lord has not said, that's a big problem. And also when they echo the serpent saying, did God really say when scripture is very clear that God did say, you know, that's a, that's the kind of thing that God is talking about. And I did use as an example, um, you know, we all know of the ongoing problem in our communion with, with respect to um, bishops and provinces leading people away uh, from, from what God's word says regarding sexual ethics and, and, and morality. And then I, but I did mention, yeah, you know, recently the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, was rebuking our primate and two other primates for upholding this and calling them unbiblical and that, and I, and I, I commended, um, the three primates for pushing back, uh, because it needs to be pushed back. You know, he needs to be rebuked. You know, this, this, this is an area where, frankly, Justin Welby is being a false prophet. He's being a bad shepherd who's scattering the sheep. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it, there, there's a temptation sometimes amongst uh, Orthodox Christians to sort of just let the uh, false teachers go about their business and um, say, well, you know, Who's going to change their mind? But I think, especially in these public statements, um, I agree there there needs to be pushback. There needs to be um, a line drawn in the sand, it, and it's not always it's not necessarily because um, Justin Welby is going to read this response and say, "Gosh, you know, maybe I was wrong about all the uh, lying between my teeth," you know. Uh, but rather, there's a whole world is watching. To see if you know um, someone's going to take a stand, and uh, I think I think they their their reply was um, very good. Uh, I I, th I I mentioned um, here in the chat. I thought it was a little bit funny that um, in uh, Welby's first response, he he makes this comment like, uh, "Yeah, human sexuality is like." kind of important but come on let's talk about climate change guys or, or you know i mean it's just all the typical like liberal political priorities are just 
Um, and if you listen to people who live in the Church of England, I mean, they'll kind of tell you that a lot of these bishops, they're just, they're, that's all they really talk about. They talk about economic equity, um, the environmentalism. And, and, and it's not to say that the church can't have things to say or speak to these issues, but golly, um, you know, saving souls and, you know, doctrinal truth and, um, moral or, you know, uh, orthodoxy is just, doesn't seem to really be, um, on their radar at all. I mean, uh, I don't know if they, if these higher ups think that's making them more relevant, but, um, I sincerely doubt that the people who would agree with them are really even going to church or care. <laughs> yeah. And that really goes to show that if you're striving to be relevant instead of faithful, you're going to end up being irrelevant in, in all directions. You'll be irrelevant to those who are seeking to be faithful. And you're certainly irrelevant uh, to the wider culture who could probably care less not only what the Church of England has to think, but what any church at this point has to think about other issues. As you said, Jesse, it doesn't mean that we don't have care or concern for all issues that impact uh, the people of God and the wider church. But you don't just sweep under the rug <laughs> what is clearly you know, taught uh, as biblical faith. And if you're really trying to, to bend or ignore the scripture um, in order to, to be relevant uh, to the times, you're really just numbering your days in terms of, of who you are as a church. And plus, there's the uh, absolute gall that the Archbishop of Canterbury would uh, imply that the, that the leaders of the, of the churches in Africa don't care about poverty and things like that. I mean, you know, <laughs> who's actually dealing with those issues? So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's messy. It's messy and, and good on the bishops. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, it really reminds me, and this is just sort of, you know, again, these, this, uh, tone deafness that, um, you get from some of these people who just seemingly live in their bubble, I guess, you know, uh, and as you said, Isaac, it's, you know, preaching to the choir, quite literally, um, when you tell people in, in the global South that, uh, they should really care about the poor, you know, um, and, and I'm, I'm reminded that, um, gosh, what I'm trying to recall the name of the fellow. I, I just sort of, uh, have had a little bit of contact with him, but, uh, a young church of England, uh, postulant who was, uh, denied his, uh, to move forward in his training because he's too theologically conservative. And, um, what's worse, you know, the worst thing that you can be in, uh, in this day and age, he was, um, not sensitive to issues of racial equality that are plaguing the church of England. Um, does anyone re recall the, the name of this, uh, young, um, I, I can picture his face, and, but I cannot remember the gentleman's name. And, um, yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to find it. Find his uh, his article here on the North American Anglican. Uh, I believe it's Cameron. 
that might see. be it. But but I I did not I missed that. So Jesse, they said that one. Oh wait, is it? No, not. yeah. And there's there's some serious irony in that last yeah. uh, Calvin Cal, <laughs> Calvin Calvin Robinson. There we go. You should should know. Um, is a black man, or at least mixed race, um, and uh, a very faithful um, Church of England, or was Church of England, I guess, uh, member and Christian, and uh, who really aspired to um, become a minister in his church that he loved and to preach the gospel. And um, he was told by his bishop that he just doesn't understand these these race issues and that he's too conservative, which was, the real thing is he's too conservative, right? Mm-hmm. He's too orthodox for the ministry. Um, and, and I think, you know, that, our, that news story that came out, um, you know, just almost in tandem with this other really kind of helps you to understand the weird bubble that these sort of Church of England higher-ups are living in, you know, um, where you can really even, you know, to to, distri- to discriminate against someone who knows so much more about what you're talking about than you do. <laughs> um, it really, it just kind of puts the whole picture together of like who who these people are. Um, and, and I think, you know, as you said earlier, Andrew, we should pray for them. Um, but in some ways, I think this is a sort of a call maybe to conversion, because the more I hear from, um, and this isn't everyone in the Church of England, but by and large, much of the leadership, the more I hear from these folks, uh, the more I see messaging that is not about Jesus, not about what he accomplished for us, um, and about a whole bunch of other priorities that any atheist, agnostic, or any other person of a certain left-wing political bent uh, would uh, also tell you. So I do wonder when um, ordained ministers uh, more or less ignore the gospel, if whether they've given up on it. So they do, want, they do need our prayers indeed. Um, so no denying that. Uh, any other sort of final comments from you gents excellent okay um not excellent that you don't have anything to say but excellent (laughs) time recording with you uh and we're always glad to be back it seems like every time we record we're back from a long break so we're uh we're pray for us um we're, we're we're hoping that that won't be the case with this one and uh we'll we've talked about several articles here we'll link to them in the show notes in the meantime you can follow us uh, several places on Twitter. That's at miserable underscore pod or miserable offenders, um, as well as on Facebook, miserable offenders on Facebook. Um, so please reach out. Uh, let us know how we're doing. And, um, you know, be be gentle, be gentle. Uh, but in the meantime, <laughs> it's been great. Uh, and I look forward to doing this again with you guys. God bless. Likewise, take care. It was the spirit of our forefathers that built that grand building. I believe that 
that spirit is with us still and will help us to, to rebuild it one day when we've served and suffered a while, a little longer. Build it again to the, to the glory of, of Jesus Christ. Miserable Offenders is a production of the North American Anglican. Learn more at n-o-r-t-h-a-m-anglican.com.